I think we're delegating the work to that person who's most able and capable of doing it. Now, in most households, the quote unquote delegation tends to naturally, is it natural? Fall to the female. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Hey, Shelly. How goes the holiday shopping? I bought one thing from Morgan so far, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I have Morgan working on her Christmas list. She has a whole list of Barbie things she wants, but I kind of put the kibosh on that because she's got a bunch of Barbie stuff already that she doesn't play with. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'm not, not getting a Barbie dream closet that you can play with for 24 hours and then takes up more space in my life. She has a Barbie car already. She's got Barbies. She doesn't play with the damn Barbies. I know it's the age. (laughs) I'm trying not to really stifle it because I know that just makes it worse, right? Mm -hmm. Draw draw a line somewhere. Draw the line. You have to at least... Boundaries are important. (laughs) (laughs) We talk about that all the time. This is true. Well, you um, have officially bought one more present than I have. So, <laughs> good job, you. do you do like Black Friday stuff or anything? No, I did it. I did it one year with John just to say that I did it, and yeah, yeah I didn't really see the appeal. Dan used to do Black Friday shopping in a very specific category. That so there was a. There's a wood shop. What the heck is it called? The fancy wood tool shop. And he would always wait for their Black Friday sh- sales. Go shopping mm-hmm. there. And he'd always go like first thing in the morning. Nice and early. But it's like a it's a fancy wood tool shop. Nobody's <laughs> rushing there for <laughs> tools on Black Friday. Like There's no like, line around the corner. <laughs> right. I, Rockler. That's what it's called. I gotta go to Rockler on Black Friday so I can really get that dis- deep discount on a chisel. Like that's not that's not what's happening. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm a last minute kind of gift giver. You know, I present giving always stresses me out mm-hmm. because under pressure I can't think of what to give somebody. Like if I know there's a deadline, oh it's their birthday coming up, I need to get them a present. I can't I got nothing. I will never be able to think of something meaningful. And I hate giving meaningless gifts. Mm-hmm. I, hate, I hate giving gifts just to give gifts. Um, but I'm much better at like being out in the wild and seeing something and being like, oh, this looks like so-and-so would really love it. Like the sloth painting. I saw that. I was like, oh, Shelly would love this. <laughs> and so I got it. Yeah, it, when it at jumps that. at you and it makes you think of that person. Right. Yeah, I get that. I think this is a good way to look at things. Our guest this week is Dr. Regina Clark. I cannot wait for this interview 
because she is going to be talking to us about the mental and household burdens on the mothers, including the gender inequality in the home. Oh, so good. I know, right? Because (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I follow a lot of accounts on TikTok that like talk about it. And it really is interesting to see how it has impacted society in general. Yeah, this has been like a, a burning thing on my mind lately. I don't know why. Maybe there's just been more like social media about it or something like that. But I'll say there's a growing group of men in the world that are trying to own this and take steps to equalize that, I guess, or to really have that equity in the home. But there's I have one thing that really bothers me when I always listen to these men on social media talk about this, about how they're going to help more in the home and do all this stuff like that. And they really need to, you know, step up and be a man and help. I hate the word help. Do you know why? Why? Because it still puts the burden of management on someone else. Mm -hmm. I really wish men would change their language and start saying participate. Because that means they actually have to be part of the household, Mm -hmm. right? Like they need to start participating in their co-living situation, not helping. You're not helping. You live there. You do all the things. If you have children, they're your children. If you have fur babies, they're your fur babies. Like you're not helping. I hire people to help me. You are participating in our life together. Yeah. Say it louder for those in the back. (laughs) Seriously. Stop saying help participate. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, it's the same in the lines of just tell me what to do. Well, you know, you've got yeah. two eyes. Look yeah. around. <laughs> you live here, right? Ugh. It was, yeah. Anyway, it's been like, it's a burning every time I see those videos. I'm like, hey. you're so close. I, appre- so close. I know. <laughs> so close, guys. Appreciate you trying to take those steps. I do. But you're still kind of missing the point. Yep. I also wanted to talk about today the violation against Dr. Tot. Did you see the news about that? The violation against what? Dr. Tot. No. So basically the Consumer Protection Safety Commission, whatever, TPSC. Yes. Yes. So they issued a violation against the Dr. Tot company because it is not safe for sleep. And they, I guess back in June, they had asked DocTalk to stop selling their product in the U.S. And they just kept selling it. And that's why they're getting this violation issued against them. Mm, Exciting. Now if we could just get the Avent natural response nipples in the market, that's great. (laughs) What I find fascinating about this is that DocTalk, I think I'm going to their website because I know it's on their website and their statement. I think it was, they said um, 2002, I want to make sure I get this date right, but they had stopped recommending their product for sleep a while ago, it was 2020 me. actually, so not too long ago, 2020, they stopped saying that babies could sleep in their product in the US and now because of this violation, they will no longer be selling the product in the U.S. They're going to release a different product that's, that fits the safe sleep guidelines. Mm. 
but it even says like on the actual product, this is not safe for infant sleep of any kind. And I seen parents, um, you know, pull the Dakota into bed for bed sharing. So they have, yeah. the doc- and it's just, it's not safe at all. Mm. So something to keep in mind, if you have a Dakota, do not let your baby sleep in it. Yeah. All right, let's do our question of the week. Um, This week's question is, is it normal for an eight-month-old to have solid poop now that she's eating solids? Define solid. Like, is it, are mm-hmm. they having a hard time pooping? Or is it right. just, you know, a thicker poop? Right. Thicker poop is normal. But if they're uncomfortable and their poop is coming out like hard little balls. Right. Yeah. Are they straining? Do they seem really uncomfortable when they're trying mm-hmm. to poop? Or is it just firmer? which would be expected if they've started having solids. Mm-hmm. Yep. You expect firmer stools. Sometimes babies do get a little constipated when they're starting solids as they try to adjust to yep. digesting all those foods. So, Yep. If yep. you are concerned that there's some possible constipation going on, um, reach out to your pediatrician. And next up, we will be speaking with Dr. Regina Clark. This week, our guest speaker is Dr. Regina Lark. Gender equality begins at home. Before neurohacking became a trending term, Dr. Regina Clark worked to decipher how the brain's executive functions impact household management and organization and expose the related outcome of unequal distribution of labor at home. In her third and most recent book, Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It, Lark helps women rebalance gender equity at home. Her Emotional Labor podcast offers listeners concrete ways to identify and mitigate the costs of women's unseen, unnoticed, and unwaged work at home. Hi, Regina. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me, Shelly. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, (laughs) there's so much to tell. I can't do it a little bit. Let me think. I started a really cool company about 14 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's called A Clear Path. And just before that, I had been spending my professional life in higher education. So I had finished a PhD in women's history. And then I was at UCLA working in an administrative capacity. And while I was at UCLA uh, at, at extension, I was in adult learning. I went on vacation to Jerusalem. And while I was there, I was visiting a good friend of mine. I stayed at her place. I said, Madhra, I don't wanna be a tourist today. How about if I do your kitchen? And she's like, Habibdi, what does that mean? And I said, Nadra, your girls are in their 30s. You got sippy cups in the cupboard. Just let me do it. <laughs> so I did what I do. I'm wired this way. I'm, I've learned that I'm a neat and tidy person primarily because of how my brain is wired. Mm-hmm. I don't have ADHD. I don't have executive function challenges. And so I can do things on task, on time. And so I did Nadra's kitchen. I come back to my desk at UCLA. One week later, I learned that I'm being laid off. Oh, and okay. I, it was a moment where I recognized that the goddess of jobs had done for me what I couldn't do for myself because it really wasn't the job that was a great fit for me. So I got laid off. And two months into my layoff, I said to Ronnie, my roommate, I said, well, I can't find a job. It's the beginning of a recession. I'm going to organize until something better comes along. Well, we looked up organizers in the zip code and lo and behold, I meet Catherine Macy. 
PhD in mechanical engineering. And I thought, oh, organizers must be smart people. <laughs> she knew my roommate. My roommate knew her. I'm like, we'd call Catherine. She invited us over for dinner. She told me everything I wanted to know about the world of professional organizing. And I thought, shit, they pay you for that? <laughs> and, uh, and indeed they do. And uh, so that was 14 years ago. And I thought I'm gonna organize until something better comes along. Nothing has, I've published three books. I have a great company, a really wonderful team of employees. Uh, Mary is one of my employees who answered my very first ad on Craigslist when I was looking for an assistant in February of 2011. And she runs the whole operation now, you know, she's been with me ever since. So it was a really smart thing to do to become very entrepreneurial with my life. That said, when I started this, I thought that my life as a historian of women's history was behind me. Mm -hmm. But I kept going into the homes of these really awesome women, clients, who were asking me to help them make sense of their very cluttered and chaotic lives. And I would hear them talk about the shame and despair that they felt for not being quote unquote, good homemakers, mm -hmm. good wives and mothers. You know, they were equating the messy house with their role as a parent. And, you know, it was tragic to me. So one day I'm listening to Sylvia talk and tell me about her shame and women's history 101, you know, banged <laughs> up against in my head. And I sat her down and I said, Sylvia, just because you have a vagina doesn't mean you're supposed to know how to do all this work. And we talked about executive function and we've been referencing the wrong body part, you know? <laughs> and, and, and so it's been a real treat for me to take my, my understanding of the language and the sequencing of women's role in the home historically, then take my understanding of going into homes that are really crowded and cluttery and then bring together my education on, uh, after I started organizing, I took every class I could find through an organization called the Institute for Challenging Disorganization. Who knew? And at the Institute, I learned about working with brain-based conditions like ADHD and depression, anxiety, um, the things that will, things that will affect, impact your executive function. When your executive function is kind of knocked offline, you have kind of a lousy relationship with time and you don't have, you don't have the sequencing skills, you know, sort, wash, dry, fold, put away, right? That's laundry, mm -hmm. five, five tasks associated with the word laundry. So I learned about the brain. I, you know, have this, this education in women's history. I work as a professional organizer and I'm seeing so much out there when it comes to women's roles in the home and, and how they feel about their roles and how those roles are, are impacting them. Mm -hmm. Period. <laughs> And I think it's such an important topic, especially now, you know, during the pandemic where how people work and live their lives is very different. People are more at home now, or at least they were during the, the worst of the pandemic. I mean, and it's actually good timing that I had you here because I, when I read about all your, your information on like the mental workload of women in the house and how women's work is never done, 
I've been seeing a lot of the same similar discussion on social media, you know, especially on TikTok where the algorithm just really like draws you into like a certain topic at a time, like a lot of discussion around like weaponizing competence and things like that, that really kind of wear down typically the women in the household. It's more about that. Oh, weaponizing competence. Yeah. What crazy language we even have to create to describe yes. what's going on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what you are learning and speaking with people about, about the, the wor- mental workload of women in the home and the workload imbalance in the home between women and men? So in for basically we'll be talking about heterosexual marriages. Well, I'd like to start with homosexual marriages. Okay. <laughs> a lot of cisgender women are always very surprised to hear that when two uh, men get together uh, to start cohabitating in their life together, two women together, when same-sex couples get together, they have to talk about the roles at home because they're not divided by gender. They're Mm -hmm. usually divided by either let's get it done or outsourcing or, but they have to talk about it and they have to talk about it continuously. What I've noticed that uh, heterosexual couples, as one woman told me, in, in the focus group, and I'll talk about the book in a moment. She said, we, we started talking about how we're gonna split the chores and saying chores, I think is the wrong word. We need to call it work. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. chores just like, la la, I'm gonna vacuum. <laughs> I have some chores to do. Uh, but she said, we started talking about it early on in our relationship, but we stopped talking about it way too soon. Mm. So what is this? It's looking at household management through the lens of getting it done. Mm -hmm. It's looking at the work of the household through the lens of it has to get done. Who's going to do it? Mm -hmm. We think we're delegating. (laughs) We think we're delegating the work to that person who's most able and capable of doing it. Now, in most households, the quote unquote delegation tends to naturally, is it natural, fall to the female of the couple Mm -hmm. because it seems to be a natural fit because she is probably much better at it, but they were raised so differently from each other, Mm -hmm. women and men that of course she's going to be better at it, but that's not going to promote gender equity at home. Because what happens is that it becomes delegated to the person who's best suited to do it. If one person has been raised Mm -hmm. to know how to do it, then how is that equitable? Because regardless of if the person who's doing the lion's share of household labor has has a wage job outside of the home or wages they're bringing in while they're working inside the home, regardless if they're also wage earners, she's doing the bulk of household management, household labor Mm -hmm. because she's better at it. That's how we think. One woman told me, so I'll, I'll just step back and I, I, um, I published a book last year, wrote a book last year. It's called Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. And it starts out with 
what is women's work and why the heck is it never done? Mm -hmm. You know, what is this idea of women's work? And if you say men's work, you say, what is men's work? I would guarantee that most people would respond with a variety of answers, none of which have anything to do with what's happening at home. Say women's work, even though we have female Supreme Court justices, even though we have, you know, female speakers of the house, women at the top in the CEO suite say women's work, and we think of the household. Mm -hmm. So we've really got to shift that um, narrative in a very big way, because if we could get men to understand the significance of the role of caregiver and the value that it, that it brings, the significance of the person who's, who's thinking and noticing, you know, the value that that, that that has on the household, you know, the work, the caregiving work of the household, because that's what a lot of emotional labor is. And emotional labor is a term being used to describe the invisible, the unnoticed, the unrecognized, the undervalued, mm -hmm. the unacknowledged, <laughs> the underacknowledged work of the household, the cognitive, the thinking about, the doing, the thinking ahead, the planning, the mm -hmm. noticing, all of that requires a lot of very high level cognitive skills. It doesn't require a vagina. It requires a functioning executive function. So then I think about all the women who are tasked with all of these skills that are required to manage a household and what if they're dealing with executive function challenges like ADHD or depression or anxiety or major life transitions can kind of knock your executive function off course. What if, what if that person is feeling completely responsible for the two or three children under 18 and then dealing with their aging dad's prescriptions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That scenario alone, being the point person in the sandwich generation, that scenario alone will, will you know, make you want to just go in and take a bath. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And I love what you say about like the, the, the burden of thinking and planning and thinking at, you know, one week, two weeks ahead, because I think, I think at least in my experience, I think things have shifted where men are helping out at more in the home, but they're having to still be told like what needs to be done in a so, way. You know why that is? Because they're, they're helping. Yeah. They're exactly. Not, they're not partnering. Right. So right. So I think it's almost a spurious comment when I hear when I hear that men are helping out more. I have women say, but my husband's good with the kids. I'm like, that's not all what's what's happening at home. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so they're helping. I think from my experience of the families is you you have a, a female who says, Yeah, my husband's great with the kids and he helps out at home. But then she's also frustrated because even though she's getting this help, how, whatever you want to call it, she's having to ask for it to begin with. And she's having to make lists to begin with. And she's having to say, you know, can you please stop by the grocery store and get milk? 
you know, it's, it's another adult that's living in the house. They can look in the fridge and see what's needed. They can look and see what needs to be picked up on the way home. It just reminds me of a lot of times where, you know, we're out with young children. We, we leave our kids behind and we're out on like a girl's night or whatever. And the phones are constantly buzzing. I don't know. I don't know where, you know, the bath towel is. Where's the, where's the baby shampoo? Where's this? Where is this? And so they're, they may be out. All these women may be out together attempting to have fun and, and time alone without the kids, but they're still on duty. Yeah. Because the partner at home, even though they're, they're doing what needs to be done, they're, they're needing to have their hand held the entire time. Yeah. I, I hear that's what's happening. I, <laughs> I, so again, it's how to, you know, we have to come up with strategies for disrupting this narrative. This is not a new narrative. I, I've been doing presentations on my book, Emotional Labor, and I can quote Aristotle, like 340 BCE, I, you know, the, the role of woman. You know? mm-hmm. We can get to Thomas Jefferson, the third president, and then we can get to the ways in which, uh, there, here's a great example, when, when uh, this is this example of how, how women were oriented to the home. So it's the end of the American Revolution, about 1790-ish, And the founders are going, oh, okay, how are we going to create this great country of ours? And who are, where are we going to get our future leaders? Ah, future leaders are going to come from a well-ordered home. Who's responsible for the well-ordered home? Well, it's the women, it's the mothers. And and what emerges from this, and I'm speaking very, very loosely, but what emerges from this is the concept of what is called Republican motherhood. And Republican motherhood was like infusing women with national importance that if they fuck up at home, (laughs) right? Their role is to get the future leaders of our country front and center. So a well-ordered home has to be pious and moral and thrifty and orderly. And these were Uh, You know, this is about the time we're going to start seeing the separation of the spheres, this idea of the public sphere, you know, women and men work very closely together, right? They were, they were merchants and they lived upstairs from their little shops, right? Agrarian society. But as we become more industrialized, we see the separation. So the world of the public sphere of commerce and industry, the rough and tumble world, and then the private sphere, the hearth and the home, you know, she's the angel of the house, the moral arbiter. She was the one to soothe you from the, from the mean streets of, of uh, L.A. Well, L.A. wasn't born yet. <laughs> so there, there was all these methodologies and prescriptions for continuing to align women with the home, regardless of these were tasks that were suited toward her. As if, since this was going to be it, because <laughs> we're not really sending them to college, you know, all of that. So, so we, have, we have a ton of examples historically to show us why we have this dynamic that you're always on duty. Mm-hmm. In 1964, Betty Friedan, uh, a journalist, um, was going to write a fluff piece on uh, how Wesleyan women 
were finding life after college 10 years later. And you could have knocked her over with a feather when she learned that all of these women who had had a first rate education as undergraduates in the 1950s, right? So she's writing in 1964, looking back 10 years. So these women that went to college in the 1950s responded to her questionnaire going, well, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm sick and tired of wiping snotty noses. And is this all there is? And I should be happy. I've got a wonderful spouse. I live in a beautiful home. My children are, are lovely, but you know, come on. Mm-hmm. Is that all there is? And what Friedan does is she hears this over and over and over again. She calls it the feminine mystique and the problem with no name. And I look at the concept of emotional labor and what women are expressing, what they're experiencing today. Emotional labor is the 21st century problem with no name. Mm-hmm. So there's a thread here and we have to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> Get your scissor out. Mm-hmm. So if, if you, like, if you're a listener listening to this podcast and you're kind of unsure if that's, if you're a woman and you're kind of like, I don't know if that's going on in my household, like what can you more define with a little bit more detail, what the emotional labor would look like, like give some more examples. So for example, an appointment has to be made for a five-year-old at the dental office mm-hmm. and you're feeling overwhelmed and you say to your spouse, Will you please, uh, so I'm going to speak husband and wife. So your wife has to make it, we got to make an appointment for the five-year-old. It's time to get their first teeth cleaning and says to the husband, will you make the appointment? And who should I call? Well, I don't know who to call. So why don't you figure out who to call, right? So the putting back mm-hmm. of the job happens immediately. Mm-hmm. Putting the job back on the person who just doled it out. Well, who should I call? Well, why don't you, why don't you um, put a note into the friends group, you know, our parent group and see who they are using. Oh, gets an answer. Okay. They, they, they suggested this person. All right. Why don't you call that person? Do you know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. this, this, this almost a feigned incompetence. So I think it starts pretty quickly in relationships. We see other examples where uh, I walk into homes all the time where a wife will call me in because the house is very cluttery and chaotic. This is not infrequent. So she calls me in and I go over there and I do an assessment and I will uh, say to her, we'll look at the island right in the middle of the kitchen or the dining room table. And it's just laden with everything from pacifiers to electrical cords, to grocery bags, to fruit, everything. And And I say to her, how does that make you feel when you look at that? And she says, shame, embarrassed, I hate it. I say to him, how does that make you feel when you look at it? And he goes, it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. That's the problem right there. Mm-hmm. He's not saying to me, Regina, what can we do? Right. He says, it doesn't bother me. So he's silencing her. He's, you know, you've, you've, now, you've now brought a stranger in to deal with a problem that clearly isn't that much of a problem because it's not bothering me. You know what I mean? And so that kind of disrespect, that inability to really hear what your partner is saying. When I asked him, I said, how is it that you're not saying, Regina, what can we do to get to deal with this? 
He said, no, he goes, I wake up with the baby every night so she can get her beauty sleep. Oh my goodness. And I said, what do you do the other 90% of the time? I didn't get the job. I get it. <laughs> I just don't know how to keep my little mouth shut. But <laughs> I, but that's, those to me are indicators of there's one person carrying the weight of the management of the household. And, and the work that is involved in the management of the household is not viewed as work or something. Mm -hmm. It also says to me, if your wife is saying, you know, my table, look, our table looking like this brings me shame and embarrassment. And your response is, well, it doesn't bother me. The message that you're sending is, I really don't give a damn how you feel in our home, yeah. how comfortable you feel in our home, how you know stress-free the home is for you. As long as I feel okay in the home, we're good. Yeah. So again, I don't know what marriage is. Mm -hmm. That's marriage. You know, I don't know what a, what a, you know, what's a true partnership. You know, it starts off kind of uneven anyway, when, um, we, when, when a male gives the bride away, it sort of starts out unequal, inherently unequal. If we could, women still get asked to be married. The majority of marriages take place when a man asks her to, to get married then another male gives her away mm -hmm. and then she changes her name. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that all of these ancient, these old traditions, these venerable traditions, I guess, are inherently bad or they're the cause of, I'm not saying that they're the cause of why there's inequality at home, inequity at home, but we want to look at them at least. Mm -hmm. If you don't think it starts out imbalanced, how does one think it became imbalanced? Right. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not in those spaces, but I do know that they become and remain imbalanced. When I got married, I had my mom walk me down the aisle and I didn't change my name. And I was blown away by the pushback that I got, especially about the name change. I was blown away. I, I personally did not think it was that big of a deal. And for me, it was more like, I'm a little too lazy to fill out all that paperwork, right? Changing your name is a lot of work. <laughs> but the pushback that I got just really shocked me because it's like, what is the big deal? What is what the big the, deal? What was the standout comment to you? Oh, uh, well, don't you want to feel like you're part of the family? Oh, your kids won't have the same because at that we had had a our first baby before we got married. Um, and so she our first had her father's last name. And so I got a couple like I it almost sounded like they were trying to guilt trip me. Like, how how do you think your child would feel when you have a different last name than that, you know, than her and and her dad? And to me, that just struck me as weird because I always I grew up with a different last name than my mother. My mother was remarried. Um, so she took her second husband's last name. 
And I never thought twice about it. It never struck me as something like, oh, my mom's not really my mom or my mom's not really part of the family. So for someone to say like, isn't it going to bother your child that you don't share the same last name? Why? Why would it bother my child? I don't, I didn't understand it. I had a hard trouble, trouble like grasping that. And then I just decided to just ignore all the comments because <laughs> at that point I was like, your opinion doesn't really matter. Um, and I, and I kept my last name and I still have my last, my original last name. Really and I'm really glad I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is definitely a narrative out there. And one of the solutions that I'm coming to in helping families, you know, kind of renegotiate. Well, my book has three things that I think may help families. And mm -hmm. one of them is what I'm thinking about, like really deliberate dialogues. Talk about everything that has to be done in the house. You know, one way to start the conversation is like, hey, honey, I heard this really fun game. I heard about this really fun exercise on a podcast today. And, and, uh, the speaker said, the two adults in the household, wife and husband, they go into a different room and they write down everything they do at home. Write it down, no holds barred. Just everything, everything, everything. And don't forget that each thing that you do has an associated task, right? So it's not laundry, sort, wash, dry, fold, put away. Write everything down, compare lists, simply then really have a conversation about all of these tasks, all of this work. What is this work? Let's, let's look at this as work that has to be done. Mm -hmm. Have really open conversations about it. And, and it could be, uh, you know, start the conversations in, in your friends groups and other parent groups. But have conversations about what's happening. And then as a family, lay out all the tasks and decide who's going to do what. And if no one wants to do it, is it going to be outsourced? Or are we going to drop it? Hmm. There's a lot of work that has to be done every day. Hmm. Statistically, I think the last study that I read if every single full-time homemaker walked off the job to replace that person is well over $150,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And that's accounting for that overtime. <laughs> Going out with the gal pals and getting taxed, that's overtime. Mm -hmm. So divide and conquer the list. You know, I was talking to somebody at a luncheon, you know, this today, and uh, she said, well, I'm going to, I told my husband, you tell me what you're going to be doing around the house. And I said, why don't y'all just talk about what actually has to be done mm -hmm. and then create ownership for it. Have these conversations about this isn't my job. You're not helping me. We're both the adults in this household to uplift and elevate the household. Mm -hmm. We're a team and our mission is to keep it going. I love and that. bring us all up. Yeah. And the other part of another component about, so when, when the chores are divided like that, dividing, delegating in a radical way, this idea of radical delegation, it's delegating to get it done versus delegating to the person best suited to the task. That's why 
women are so tired and overwhelmed and, and they're not making play dates with their own friends because there's so much that has to be done. I think a lot of women feel guilty for hanging out with their friends because they're leaving a lot undone mm-hmm. and nobody can find the catch up while you're not, when you're not home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so there's that. So by radically delegating the tasks that have to be done within the household and just, and creating ownership of those tasks. Another step may be to anticipate what I call the emotional labor life cycle. So there's always stuff that's gonna be happening. There's the day-to-day, there's school notes, there's people have to eat, there's the day-to-day homework, flu shots. But then there's, you know, life transitions. There's always things coming up. So I think what if couples looked ahead and began to radically delegate in advance of it coming up instead of it landing there going, holy shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm thinking of a conversation I had with a woman a couple of weeks ago And she's an attorney and she works from home. And as a result, she said of working from home, she's also kind of responsible for everything that's happening at home because she's home. Mm -hmm. By default, it's her job still. And her husband uh, is an IT person or engineer and he works outside the home. So she said, her children are one and two. She said, when she goes, I'm already thinking that when we're doing play dates, that it's all gonna fall on me because I'm the one who's home. And I said, no, I said, your husband can schedule with the parents, can do all the, all the stuff online mm-hmm. and all you have to do is get them there. Radically mm, delegate, anticipate what's coming up. Mm-hmm. Once the kids have play dates, what's that gonna mean for us? And I would like to see this stuff put into practice, give it a shot, especially if you're miserable. I mean, the the divorce rate is still really high. Mm -hmm. Why do we think it's so high? Couples get together, they fall in love. they, They really believe in the reality and the magic of their marriage. They really do. They go into it believing that this is the one. And five, seven, 10 years later, that they're not the one anymore. What happened? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I think that this uneven distribution of work at home is part of it for sure. Yeah. That reminds me of some research that I was, an article that I was reading um, maybe, maybe about a month ago, where it talked about the impact of marriage on women. And one of the things they pointed out in the research is that men who are married are happier, healthier, and live longer than men who are single. Whereas women who are married are not as happy, not as healthy, and don't not live as long as single women. Mm. And the article was pointing out, and the reason why that this, their theory, which sounded like a strong theory to me is, you know, if you are a wife and you're constantly telling your husband, like, you know, you need to go see your doctor. You haven't been to the dentist. You, 
you know, it's kind of like you're taking on the role of the mother in some marriages too, where you're telling your husband, you need to go get that checked out. You need to go see the doctor. So they're living longer because they're getting access to healthcare because their wife is like, you need to go make that appointment. And they're happier. And because of that, but on the, on the woman's side, they're just, they're not married to a man. They're married to another child and they get really tired and depressed trying to manage another child. And then they, they get depressed and they're not as healthy and they don't live as long. And then the other um, thing that I thought of was I was watching a video by a marriage therapist and she was talking about how something that she and her colleagues were discussing is they'll often get like a very frantic phone call from a man saying, I need, we need to be seen right away. Our marriage is in crisis. My wife wants to divorce. This came out of nowhere. We need to be seen right away. And then when they see the couple, what they actually, what actually comes out is the wife has been asking for marriage counseling for years, years. The wife has been asking for things to change for years. The wife has been asking for, you know, the husband to take more up, more of the tasks off of her plate and help more around the house and have it be more of an equal partnership for years. And the husband just, it just goes in one way, one ear and out the other until she's finally fed up and is like, I'm done. I want a divorce. And then it kicks in. And then they're like, oh my gosh, we're in crisis. Not even seeing what's in front of their face that this has been going on for a while. You just haven't been listening. Yeah. And I think I just found that all that interesting. Yeah. What we're talking about today isn't new. Mm -hmm. It didn't just emerge out of COVID. Right. I think it became very glaring in COVID. In fact, when I was doing the research for my book, I would be doing business networking. So I, I kept I kept very busy networking in the Zoom room. And I would I would have um, you know business networking meetings with with men and women. And when when COVID started, you know, you would see like a cat come across a keyboard and kids pulling hair, you know, people are learning to adjust Mm -hmm. life, uh, working life from home. And, and so I would say to these guys, wow, how's it going in there? You know, how's, how's life and COVID under the quarantine? And so many of them would say to me, well, luckily my wife's not working. And I would just like, my eyeballs would burst out of my head. And I would say stuff like, well, why keep her? Or I'd say, what is she watching Ellen and eating bonbons all day? I'm like, what the hell is she doing? And they would say, well, no, 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 she's working. We have three kids. And I'm like, dude, call it work Mm -hmm. and call it work. And I would hear them go, I can't wait to get back to the office. It's terrible here. Oh my gosh. They're so close, right? They get so close to the point and then it just flies right over their head. I don't know. know. So you mentioned that your book has three tips. So one is um, going into a separate room and writing everything down. And then, and talking about it, that uh, Mm -hmm. the deliberate dialogues. Mm -hmm. And the second one is laying all the tasks out and, and radically delegating. So radical delegation, I think, is a new way forward. How do we move forward? What's the goal? The goal is to get the work done. It matters not who's good at it. I will say, so that's the second thing, radical delegation. And the third is anticipating the emotional labor life cycle. I hear this kind of frequently. Women will say, or a, or a guy will say, well, I want to help. And we know that whole helping thing is not the model. 
uh, I want to help, but she doesn't like the way I X. Mm. Mm-hmm. Two things about that. One is I, I encourage women to really look at what's their vested interest really in making sure a dishwasher gets loaded a particular way without criticizing it or judging it or anything. Getting it done a particular way, what is that? If, if somebody else is going to be in charge of the dishes and all of that, What's worst case scenario if it's not done well? Well, the dishes are gonna to have to be cleaned again. Is, is it worth doing that than being aggravated? Mm-hmm. And if you have a vested interest in how it is done versus that it's just getting done, if you have that strong an interest in the how versus the just get it done, do you feel powerless or out of control in any other area of your life? What is, why is that so important to you? I don't know. I really don't have an answer for why. I, I hear it. A lot of women will feel very strongly that it has to be done this way. And no matter what they say to the other person, it doesn't get done that way. You know, we've got, at some point, if we're feeling so burdened and overwhelmed, we also have to do some letting go. Mm-hmm. I have a company here in Los Angeles. I have 11 or 12 employees and I'm a very, very trusting person. And in all of my years as being an employer, oftentimes I care less about how you got there and more about that the finished product is what we need to see. So I'm very, very good at delegating. I work with a lot of vendors. I have a very active professional speaking life. I do events. I do all kinds of stuff. And I have people in my life. I have these little silos of villages. You know, I have this little village of people that help me with my professional speaking life. And I have this village of people that help me with my clear path, my organizing business. And I'm willing to pay for these things. And starting out, I found people who would accept payment for what I could afford. Mm -hmm. I don't, you you and I were talking about confidence, you know, before our call. And it never occurs to me that I won't get what I want at this price point, Mm -hmm. because this is what I have to spend. So of course I'll find someone to do it for that. And I hear people go, oh my gosh, you know, a bookkeeper is so expensive. Like, No, they're not just fine. You know what I mean? It's, it's, if you start with the premise of this is going to be hard, going to be hard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. What advice would you give a family where, so they say they designated the tasks, but one of them is not holding up to their end or just kind of going back to that, putting the, putting the task back on the other person. Like if, if, if the husband agrees to do a certain task, but then every time he goes to do it, he asks like a thousand questions and till finally the wife is like, whatever, it'll be just easier if I just do it myself. Like what would you recommend in that situation? Of course. I mean, I don't know. I, it's like, <laughs> how do you get people to talk to one another and communicate with each other? Mm. So a life coach, a therapist, um, snuggle into bed and read the emotional labor book together. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't understand how 
that becomes okay in a relationship. You know, it's, it takes mm-hmm. a lot of courage to disrupt this narrative. And you may have to stay uncomfortable. There's a story in one of the books that I use for my book. Uh, the book is called The Girl I Left Behind, A Housewife's Moment of Truth and Other Feminist Ravings. And she tells the story about a woman who um, is trying to take, make a stand and she doesn't want to be the one that's d- doing all the laundry. And so the laundry comes out of the dryer and she puts it on the couch and um, she, the couch is in the den with the television. She says to the kids, fold the clothes. Nobody folds the clothes. And eventually the clothes end up on the floor. And then eventually they start dressing from the pile of clothes. And she just felt so defeated. She just picked the clothes up and she brought them upstairs. I, I wish she started to remain uncomfortable, that she was able to sit with the discomfort of the clothes, because I don't know what else she could do. Right. You know, I don't understand that when there's things on the steps that have to go upstairs and distributed upstairs, why people don't just do that mm-hmm. instead of being told it, because that's a thing that happens again. So what happens in every household? This idea of feigned helplessness of, uh, you, you use the, the terminology be, right when we started, it was- um, uh, Weaponized incompetence. Say the first word. Weaponized. Weaponized, incom- weaponized competence. Mm-hmm. Feigned incompetence. Yeah. So stop it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 again, one woman, I, I was on LinkedIn and I posted something on LinkedIn that the new study shows, new study shows, the study has been showing this for the longest time, that when women are higher wage earners in the house, they're also doing the, the bulk of the household labor. Mm-hmm. So I posted on LinkedIn, I'm like, what's this about? And one woman says, well, Women should stop feeling like they're emasculating men if they're earning more money. I said, men have to stop feeling emasculated. Mm. It's not on women to, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, say it louder for those in the back. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, what is that? Aren't we here to elevate and uplift the, the higher good of the household? And that's in every, every crevice of society. You find that, right? Like, it's like, here are tips to not get raped while you're out jogging at night. Yeah. Why are we saying that? Why aren't we just telling men, Hey, don't rape women who are jogging at night. Yeah. It's like, it seems like it's so subtle that sometimes you don't even realize that that that's the message that you're getting. Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. like, don't wear your hair in a ponytail. Don't listen to music with earbuds. And it's like, or you could, I could, you know, we could just teach our sons not to grow up to be the kind of men that rape. That, that would be good too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so tell, tell me a little bit more about the books that you have out. Um, you've been talking about one of them, Emotional Labor, Why a Woman's Work is Never Done and What to Do About It. Yeah. And the other one I have is called Psychic Debris, Crowded Closets. Mm-hmm the relationship between the stuff in your head and what's under your bed. And it really looks at uh, folks' relationship to stuff and clutter and and see it through, again, the lens of the executive function. So what does it mean to keep things like, it's like Republican motherhood. What is it, what do you need to keep things neat and tidy? You need to have executive function skills. And if we don't have our executive function skills aren't running on all pistons, then we're going to have clutter. So how do we how do we manage that? And what do we need to know about our brain in order to in order to help ourselves deal with stuff and clutter? Mm-hmm. 
And and your books can, it looks like they can be found on Amazon. They can. Any last tips and tricks you want to say to women who are in a situation where they're feeling like they're taking on most of the emotional burden and tasks of the household? Uh, Put together uh, a group of women friends and start talking to each other about them and ask, Mm -hmm. ask for tips. Get the book, Emotional Labor, and read it together. Mm-hmm. Why not? Uh, yeah, and I'm just really loving your idea, too, of just setting up that plan, like looking ahead and setting up that plan. And oftentimes when I'm teaching like a newborn care class, I'll recommend to families that they that they come up with a parenting plan where they decide before baby arrives, who's getting up in the middle of the night with baby? Are you both getting up? Because you don't want to find out on your first day home from the hospital that you had the expectation that you were both getting up to help with the baby. Whereas he had the expectation that, oh no, you're doing, you're you're like, you're breastfeeding so you can do it on your own or something like that. So it is important. I think, like you said, to plan ahead. Yeah. I, you know, in all situations, right. Mm -hmm. Anyway, you do that, you know, you do that for a two, three, five year plan for your company, Mm -hmm. being able to anticipate what's coming up, right. You look at trends and and all of that and you, and you, you create a strategic plan for how you're going to deal with it all. Right. And if you're at work with your company and your boss asks, you know, says this needs to be done, you don't go back like a million times. Okay, I did step one. Now what? You know what I mean? So why would you do that at home? Right. Too? Right. Right. Yeah. So where can people find you if they want to connect with you, learn more about you? Just reginalark.com. Google me. I'm proof positive that nothing leaves the internet. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like you do a lot of speaking gigs too. I do. I do. That's but awesome. It's, you know, I'm the type of person that I just always just moving on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. I got a next thing after this thing. <laughs> Are you on social media? Not so much. LinkedIn. Not so much. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that person. I don't do before and after pictures. I'm not. Okay. So your website is, is the main point. Yeah. Okay. The website or LinkedIn, just stuff. Okay. So I'll put the links to the, to your website. And the show notes. And I think this is such an, it was nice to speak with you. It's such an important topic and it's a lot of work that we need to do going ahead. Do you have any hope? Have you seen any shifts? I feel like with younger couples, when I'm in their home, I am seeing more like, you're like, no, I don't have any hope. But again, it's like, it's how are women experiencing their lives? Mm -hmm. I want to hear more women experiencing their lives, feeling that they have partners at home. Yes. So that's key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much. And okay. um, it was really nice talking with you. Yeah, this is great. You're a good interviewer. <laughs> thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.